Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. In this episode, we're treated to an in-depth conversation with director and former Directors UK board member, SJ Clarkson, where she shares her process and experience of directing her latest series, Anatomy of a Scandal. SJ is joined by Oscar-winning director, Martin Scorsese, who hosted the conversation. In this session, SJ delves into her approach to filming a six-episode courtroom drama, the relationship between memory and storytelling, how to maximise post-it notes for storyboarding, and the power of Percy Pig Suites. The Directors UK podcast celebrates the craft of directing. If you've been enjoying these episodes, please rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share with your friends. Now back to SJ and Martin. Hello. Um, hi, um, Martin Scorsese here. I, uh, um, I'm going to describe myself. I have uh, a blue shirt on and very white hair. In any event, I want to uh, introduce um, S.J. Clarkson, a fine director, um, and um, uh, have, some, uh, have a discussion on uh, Anatomy of a Scandal. S.J.? Hi, hello. Um, I'm SJ. Uh, thank you, Martin, for that introduction. And Toyin and Directors UK and everybody, hello out there. Um, I'm SJ. I am uh, a white woman. I've got shortish, very going, very grey hair now. And as usual, I'm just wearing black because it's just the yeah, easiest just, thing. Yeah. Oh, dear. nice to see you, Martin. Thank you for being here and doing this. I'm in New it's York. Great. You're in New York. I'm in Boston. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah prepping in Boston at the moment so that's where mm. I am here so yeah shame they couldn't have um shipped us down and been in the room together but never mind we love zoom yeah. zoom's the new way forward right I, I apparently <laughs> apparently 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 well SJ listen give us an idea of how you approach I've always I've always wondered about this in terms of a, a six-part series which as a um I don't think I've ever done one. I've done pilots and I've worked on uh, 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 episodes of series, but I never uh, approached a project that is six parts. Um, I usually um, think of it in terms of uh, a single film, you know, come from the old world and uh, apparently projected in a theater, we hope, and that's about it. Um, And in a sense, you have to keep how you keep a sense of uh, your, how you see it, your vision of it. And I want to use the word vision, but um, because it becomes very uh, grandiose, but you do have to see it somehow. You have to see the whole in six parts, you know, not just one episode at a time. Um, How you approach that, uh, what in in effect, you know, what, what, uh, why did you want to do this particular project? as opposed to others, and um, how you keep a voice going in uh, uh, six installments. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's well, first of all, I think you started with trepidation because it's a massive undertaking, you know, and, and, it, and it's six episodes and, and, you know, pilots, episodes, 
that's one thing, but it is becoming in vogue now, this sort of limited series. And what, and what I will say, what's exciting about it is back to your original point is it's kind of like a film. It's actually like you're making a film because you have ownership of the whole thing. It's just a really long film or two to three films, you know, sort of back to back. So I think the kind of the magnitude of it is, is, is overwhelming for sure. But I think you just treat it in exactly the same way you do anything else in the fact that you've got to have a through line from beginning to end. Even if you're just doing the pilot or you're coming in and doing episodes four and five or whatever, you still have a through line and a storytelling task ahead of you to do throughout those episodes. So with the six parter, it's really about how you keep a hold of that through line. And yes, you say the word business grandiose, but you do need to see it and you do need to know where you're going and you do need to know how you're going to pace it and, you know, how you're going to do the twists and turns, when you're going to get the peaks, when you're going to get the tension and how that's going to land. And and like anything, some lands where you think it will, others don't and things get crafted in the edit and sometimes you're like, well, that didn't work. And, oh, and yeah. you know, and, oh, I thought that episode was going to be better than that. And, and you know, and then, and then you start like re- wrestling with it. But it is like, I think the, the, I think in essence, it's the same. It's just really bloody daunting. And I and I didn't quite realize the magnitude of six until I was in it. And you suddenly get halfway through the shoot and there's no turning back. And you've shot half of it because it was cross-boarded. So you've got bits of every episode, but nothing oh. complete. And it's like nothing oh. is complete until that last week, really, when suddenly everything falls into place. And you just oh. sort of there's a, there is definitely a level of hope, preparation, yes you know, and a great team around you and a brilliant script supervisor who I was blessed to have with um, uh, Tessa Kimball because keeping those, I must get this shot of this or we drop this or we need this. So, so, so there's that. And I think it's just kind of, you have to prep. There was no way I could have done this just winging it. I I had to sort of know roughly where we were going um, and at least have an essence of how I was going to sort of pit each character each of the sequences you know from the the house to the courtroom to the legal chambers and and the world outside the world of parliament and all those things you had to have an idea of it how it was going to be sort of cohesive as this whole thing so there was a lot of juggling to do I would definitely say it's probably one of the most challenging things I've done but in many ways when you've done all six the most rewarding because you sort of you know especially if it does all kind of all right you know you're like oh okay you know so yeah very much the same process, I would say, just multiplied. The, 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 the problem uh, in, in many of these things, too, is that each episode has to end a certain way, has to end at a certain dramatic level. And Well, uh, on, well on Netflix, yeah. Usually, a feature film isn't usually that way, you know. True. Five sequences, maybe four small, smaller climaxic scenes, one giant climax scene at the end. If you're doing a traditional, or I should say sometimes conventional, narrative story um, absolutely. absolutely if you're doing, if you're doing that um uh, and i have in mind the older hollywood films etc uh but then how does it, it, you're holding it too tight at times it, could could you breathe life into it on, on the set could you uh change right there i mean how do you how do you make it still feel alive yeah, well, look, definitely. I mean, and you're right. There is that thing. I suppose you've got sort of six mini films within an overarching film. So you're sort of doing the whole thing. Right. And and you do have to. I mean, the idea of Netflix is you don't want them to switch over or stop watching. So you want that binge watch. So you're you're riding it. And, and a lot of that comes from the narrative. So a lot of work went into the pre-production of this into the scripts in terms of how you were going to nurture yes. the scripts and yep. build those up, because that's your blueprint, whether, you know, you like it or not, you you can 
you exactly. can just about get away with going on set and not prepping the scene, but you have to craft those scripts. And I was lucky. The one, the one thing that COVID gave us, I suppose, was we had three months of lockdown when we were supposed to be prepping. So everything got stopped. That gave us three months to really work on the script. So by the time we started prep, I'd actually had the director's pass on all of them. You know, still some stuff to do on six. And yeah. it is about, it's crafting those moments. So there were flashbacks in five that we moved to three and things in three that went to six. Oh, wow. And wow. it was moving all those things around during that period. The problem then becomes a repetition, a feeling of repetition. Right. These flashbacks are so important. You know. That's right. But they but they have to evolve. And I think the important thing ever about flashbacks, and, and it sort of reminded me when we did vinyl together, we had those interstitials. Do you remember that sort of yeah. with these? Oh, the music. That's right. The music and the and the meta, those sort of moments where you would just go yeah. off to kind of what yeah. was in someone's psyche. And this wasn't dissimilar in that way, in that in terms right. of, you know, using the flashbacks and some of those moments to take you sort of on the emotional journey of the characters as opposed to let the narrative or the literal journey which I think is what was my overriding sort of hope for the series to give it something else other than just this linear narrative linear narrative which is just uh, basically uh, uh, playing out of um, of um, you know page by page of a book basically it doesn't uh, absolutely yeah it's not cinema Um, uh, uh, can I ask you some further things about the flashbacks and how you work yes yeah sure Uh, because I think I I was watching this thing and as I said, I watched three hours one night, three hours the next. And uh, I, I, what you did with the flashbacks is really remarkable because they're fragmented. Um, there's images of faces and eyes and hands, and then the people are moving. There's camera movement. Uh, it's focus. It's out of focus. Then it's in focus on the left. Then it's in focus on the right. Um, but other times, it's not a focus at all. Um, and then the sounds. The in slipstream the slipstream so what you touch upon is something that is a kind of a slipstream of time and certain words you hear and they're sporadic and all these images swirling um it's so what i feel you've done which is really interesting in these flashbacks you, it's not a literal narrative flashback you i think you've touched upon something that's act, that's almost actually the experience of memory it's how you how you remember something. Do you ever think about, you know, um, how one sees, for example, do we pan like this, like the camera pans? No, it's in sections, you know? So in your, in your uh, memories, what you've given us is an impression of a memory. You know, the words could be wrong, the faces could be wrong, but the memory is right. And that's how your brain sees it at that point in time. I was an amazing, amazing thing. uh, Because what you're doing is reconstructing you're reconstructing, as we all do, reality, which... That's, well, what is memory? Exactly. Yeah, what is memory? It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's something that we are recalling. I think, I wish, yeah. I, didn't, I, wish I thought of the word slipstream myself, because that would have been great to describe it, it earlier really on when I was saying that. It is that. It really is. It is a slipstream. Like, it does. You know? And it was that thing of sometimes you re- might remember what you saw before what you said or, or what was said before you saw it. And therefore, if you're going back to that, I, I wanted the, like, the sense that we were we were recalling it, but maybe misremembering it. And especially for Olivia on the stand, when she gets questioned, suddenly things seem slightly different. So she is she turns yes. her head in three different places. It's very yes. subtle, but she's never in the same place as um, the as the story yes. evolves, because it's. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Because it's misremembered because she's trying to 
figure out what was that. And and it is that thing of like, I don't think we ever remember memory and completion. It is fragmented. Yeah. And I and, and sometimes you're reminded of a memory by a photograph, which is a still frame, or you're reminded by a joke that somebody said, which is oral. And yeah. so I thought to play with that, that it doesn't all, we're not that smart. We don't, we're not able to sort of replay these movies. Otherwise we'd never go to the movies and just go, Oh, remember that. And that was awesome. Right. We, 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 <laughs> we, you know, so, so I think that that was one of the things I really wanted to do to help tell this story. And also, you know, there's a lot of story to tell and there's a lot, I felt that this was such a personal story from the, from the minute I read the book, I think what Sarah Vaughan, did brilliantly with the book was to um each chapter was dedicated to a character so we really got inside the heads and uh, minds of these okay. people all right okay and then and so and so to there was certainly some wrestling in the early days about the adaptation about like could you do an episode per character but I don't think that would have held up and it wouldn't have had that sort of like wonderful propulsion of narrative that, that we managed to get but what I thought was so rich in the book was the depth we went to with these characters so the whole concept of it was for me to try and find a way into the psychology of each of these characters in their own specific way, but that was under the cohesive sort of cinematic vocabulary of anatomy. So how Uh to get inside it and how to make that fragmented. Um, So that was sort of the concept behind it. And then the filming of it was you, there's no shortcut to it. You film it all two or three times slightly differently. And we flipped out the lenses. We used this Petzl, you know, 40 mil, which we called the fucked up 40. I used them once yeah. or twice. They're great, aren't they? I think I'm on. Yeah, yeah, but I so that's all right. I don't want anybody to really notice it, so I put it on the edges. <laughs> that's right. Well, we well, we actually flipped the elements. But the optical, oh, it's all over it. I unashamedly used it, and it was sort of like, get out the fucked up. Uh, no, Everything was shot on a regular lens. No, right? no, but that works. With your mind, I had to be very careful. At, you know. Right. And did you change the the elements as well? We sort of changed the front optical elements so that it just gave it that distortion around the edge. But you, just, you could only focus on the crosshairs. Just, just yeah, focus on the crosshairs. And That's then the right. Did a basic because our our film takes place in 1921 and in the middle right. of Oklahoma, uh, and there's a sense of um, you know what the hell? I mean, there is a sense of the photographs taken at that time. They're not. Um, it, you know, they might as well have that <laughs> that uh, special. Well, they said they're not digital, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They certainly are, and and they yeah. have. You know, there's a, a certain um, the softness to them. There's a, yeah. When we go in close on the faces, we found that that uh, we used an actual camera from the period uh, that it is not as not as sharp. You know, yeah. And so now yeah. in the editing different as to how sharp we really want to be on it and how close we want to be. But um, why not? That's how people saw things before uh, absolutely yeah and that's and that's also sort of is just part of that cinematic vocabulary that then you can take and it's such a great it was such a great tool and sometimes yeah. we overused it and and you know Liana Del Giudice who's my editor was sort of worked meticulously on the first episode which really defined the rules of it and the setup of it of how to use it because it was you could overuse it and then it felt like a gimmick it just needed to be enough to be that haziness yeah. but it just gives yeah. you that sort of like it forces you to focus, but it's also yeah. off focus as well. It's it's yeah. such a brilliant yeah. lens to use. It really, really works it so beautifully. And I, it becomes like, the thing about it is like, by the use of that in flashbacks, slipping out of, in and out of time and space and sound, it becomes like a piece of music, which which great cinema should be, is music in a way. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just, it, two images together suddenly was flying away you know and uh um 
anything could come up on the screen at any moment. And yet you were able in the six episodes to keep a narrative structure, a story. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Uh, on a, is, uh, it was a tightrope. <laughs> bit of a tightrope is right. Bit of a tightrope. Bit of a tightrope across those six episodes. But it was also what was, you know, what really sort of persuaded me to go that direction with it was, you know, I knew I had, I faced an awful lot of scenes in a courtroom. And I don't know about you, but I have a bit of a phobia to courtroom dramas because you just, right? Because you're just like, we're just going to be stuck in this room and people cross and examine and ask those questions. And, you know, and at least in America, they can stand up and walk around the courtroom and you can sort of use dramatic license and, you know, have, can't do that in the UK. You just got to stand up and sit down and wear the wig and the robes and everything else. And and so it felt like a really um, useful tool to steam through some of the kind of um not necessarily perfunctory but you know that's sort of like the amount of kind of courtroom stuff that you've got to wade through just to get to the nugget it felt like that helped us propel ourselves through those because I wanted the override incentive was to keep this level of sense of propulsion throughout the whole series but I wanted you to feel like what was going to happen next and which twist and turn was going to come so I think it was a really good tool to have you know, and, and sort of work within those courtrooms and get away from describing events from a particular perspective. We were able to just cut to it and then in a few sort of very swift cuts, get the story across. Yes. I mean, the courtroom scenes really are the, the some best I've ever seen because, uh, you know, courtrooms uh, it demand uh, maddeningly lockdown shot in a way. Yeah. And if it's going to be that way, you know, uh, I think of Anatomy of a Murder, which is actually beautiful uh, because it, right. it it embraces it, or Judgment at Nuremberg, which uh, uh, really holds up in terms of uh, in terms of courtroom uh, uh, visual interpretation. Also, absolutely. Uh, but here, um, you know, uh, did you approach uh, did you approach each courtroom scene as um, with a different visual um, idea? Uh, in other words, um, a different treatment visually, you know, composition, where the focus is in the frame. Um, you know, uh, I, I yeah. think I, it's so much, there's so much, there's so many fragmented images and compositions are so unique in each courtroom scene that finally, I think it's um, when Caden uh, uh, is on the left and Angela is on the right and they disrobe and they just sit down. And she says, well, I defend these people. I can't. Yeah. I mean, you really feel because the camera's not holding, you mm. really feel what they go through because yeah. of the impressionistic way of these courtroom scenes, how they've been expressed. Um, you know, and uh, I was wondering if I know back when I did Raging Bull, I did each fight scene had a different visual approach in my mind. And I wondered uh, if you uh, uh, played with that. There- there was definitely a bit of that. I mean, interesting that scene. I, I'm I'm so pleased you picked up on that scene at the end because it is just the two of them sat there, and and for me it was both sides of the scales of justice. It could go either way. They were literally equal in the frame. It was the only time I was symmetrical. I think in the whole piece of just yeah, kind of like, and you really feel it. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, and those two are great. I've got to say, Gisette oh. was a masterclass every day, and Michelle Dockery is just ex- it was extraordinary holding 44 pages of dialogue in her brain. You know, well, for those because we did you, I mean, do you know what we did? We did what well, to your point about the visuals. Yes, if you if you kind of look at it, I made sure that every courtroom scene opened with a developing shot that was different from the last mm-hmm. that focused on 
who was the focus of the scene. So whether it be James standing trial for the first time, bringing in Olivia, setting up Kate's test, setting up Kate's opening statements, mm-hmm. developing shots to kind of set the scene and tell the story so we know where we are. Because everybody wants that, but I'm never a fan of establishers. I don't like them. I don't like just plonking them in. The no, wide shot has to say I, something, I, right? I can't fit yeah. them in. Sometimes I go in a room, I mean, in Oklahoma too. And, uh, well, first of all, in Oklahoma, there are pastures. And, and no, I right. should say prairies. Miles, you know. And yeah. So, what do you put? Where? No, pan to the left. No, pan to the right. No, <laughs> where do we but stop? Do you, I know you don't because it's so exactly yeah, right there, yeah. and, and they're on focus sometimes. It's just more about setting the scene. So I'm like, if it's just about setting the scene, then let's find a developing shot of which I I did many throughout the series, mainly to sort of contrast the flashes and the memory moments, that there was a lot more lyrical developing shots telling the story and landing on the on the important moment or whoever I needed to be with at that time. And the lighting did change subtly for sure. And there was often whose perspective were we with. So if we were with um, Sienna, Sophie's character, Sophie, Sienna's character up in the, you know, public gallery, which is the way it is at the at the old Bailey. They have a public gallery. I liked her, I wanted her to be up there and it to feel like it's like theatre. And it felt like her life was being played out before her. So that's why we built the public gallery and because and, that was all a set. Um and and yeah, so each time I was going to the scene, it was like, who's got the upper hand in this scene, especially when it came between sort of Josette and Michelle, the pair of them constantly would, you know, oh, yeah. one up, one down, one up, one down. So which side of the line we were on, I flipped the line a lot in those scenes to keep it moving, often in and out of flashbacks when people were finding themselves questioning themselves, especially Olivia, when she was qu- when she was being questioned, you might sort of come out and she'd be like, hold on a minute, and we'd then jump to the other side of the line because then that became about where James was. Or yeah, where... I noticed, noticed a lot of flipping the line. Which a lot of flipping the line. Even yeah, in the, a lot of flipping the townhouse, even in the townhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I enjoy doing that. It's like the old sort of saying, you know, once you know the rules, you can break them. But I I, I think when you know how to handle a line cross, yeah. they are, they are so effective, and they they keep they sort of punch things and accentuate moments that you're perhaps not you don't want sort of to lay on with a trail, but it just does it for you in quite a subtle manner, especially if you're going via coverage, you know. So we certainly did that in each scene. And, and you know, we we had the crane shot in there, but as you know, you get a crane in and you go like, yay, we've got the 40-foot technocrane, hurrah, and then it takes forever. And you're like, get rid of the crane for the wall yeah. back in. <laughs> Stick to the steady cam. Uh, you know, so there was an awful lot of that. But the one thing I wanted us to do was shoot in order. And I was so lucky because the courtrooms, we were on a set and we were shooting in continuity. It was hard because I actually wanted to pop out and come back in, but because of COVID, we could. So we had to do everything in continuity. So that at least meant that every scene that's directly followed on. And you would then know, to your point earlier, about how do you keep a thread of everything? Huh, well, that shot didn't really work in that moment because it felt like we were putting the camera ahead of the narrative or we're putting the camera ahead of the performance. We needed to pull back. So then you go, well, maybe we could use that on this beat or we've given that one up now so let's use that again because you know we want to be behind the glass so the beaded glass for example like we knew we had that in there and we designed the set to have that in it so that when we say you might recognize the man in the dock you may have heard all these things about him i wanted to be tracking through this glass and see all these different faces glass of some kind yeah it was beveled glass it had a beveling at the top and at the side so so we put that in just so that as you track through it you would see these sort of distortions of his face, but in real time, rather like the flashbacks in the memory, but we're starting to question him in the real world. And then obviously towards the end of it, when we realised who Kate is, I started to use the double images of Kate. In fact, throughout the piece, there are often reflections of Kate subtly in yes. there, of yeah. Michelle throughout. 
was yeah. just that nod to there's there's another side to her story. So even in the Delaunay restaurant, there's this she's reflected and wherever right. she was, we tried to find a sort of reflection of her and then save that big sort of beveled glass reveal of her once we were sort of hurtling towards the end of episode four. Yeah. So then in terms of um shooting continuity in the courtroom, excellent. That really helps. I mean, especially if oh my god, a, I couldn't have done it without it, I'm sure. You know, get it. I mean, we yeah. uh, wish we had that in uh, um we were shooting recently last year when I shot that film. We did as best we could in continuity, but uh, uh, the weather and COVID was a um, uh, pretty That's strong. That's right. Got yeah. away. Yeah. <clears throat> in in designing shots, um, just um, from what you're talking about, from what you've been saying, I could tell. Obviously, you put a lot of planning into the shots, of course. Um, but I wonder if. Um, um, eh, how you make a decision or how, but, you know, in advance, um, Kate entering the courtroom, entering the Bailey, the series of cuts, mm-hmm. movement, movement, and strong two, three, five images, you know, as opposed to Sophie entering a house, sometimes it's steady cam and you, or she sees a friend that camera. And before you know it, uh, I don't know if the steady cam shot is really uh, in one or are they stitched? Or whatever, but in in deciding how you uh, what tool you use to interpret the scene, um, how does that how does that work in terms of your of um, the theme of the film, what you're trying to say in the, in in the sequence? Yeah, well, I, those, those are two really good examples actually, because because Kate entering the old Bailey, you know. I think my I think I brought my own fear to the table courtroom ugh, you know and I and I sort of just didn't want to alienate people that maybe got a bit like oh I know what this is going to be we're in we're in the courthouse and you cut to a biggest austerior wide of the courtroom and then a figure walking towards you and you go oh it's a courtroom drama what else is on you yeah, know it's just feel that way yeah yeah and I and so I felt I wanted to to kind of like you know, punched in hard with it, obviously. But also Kate's character is on the move. She doesn't stop. She is yeah. on a mission because oh, yeah. if she stops for a second, all the crap from her past is going to come hurtling towards her and she'll have a meltdown. So she is someone that keeps going. She is on a mission. She knows what a raison d'etre is in life is to do these cases. She's keeping it together. She's got it all sewn up or so she believes. So there was this real momentum to her. And also she's just succeeded in the case. So I wanted her to get this kind of like this punch of kind of, you know, sort of momentum propulsion, but also sort of this deep-rooted kind of like she's waiting to scream, yes. and go, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Pen, pent up, unsettling. And then, and then one of the things when we did a lot of our um, a lot of our research, we talked to a fantastic, a fantastic QC who gave us an awful lot of insight. And she talked about what a pain in the ass it was having to walk from the old Bailey back to Chambers with all your files. So that's why they all had flight cases. They all looked like they were going away on holiday. Oh, that's great. And they'd literally great. walk back and she said, and it's if it's bloody raining, it's a nightmare. So I was like, great, we'll, we'll have rain. Dockery wasn't happy that day. She literally <laughs> was in the rain, poor cow. Why can't I have the umbrella up in the rain? Because I want the umbrella going up on the, on the button so that it's up and then it's yeah. off so that we can get all of those moments. So so it was definitely, you know, Michelle's character wanted to come in hard and, and come in punchy that those first sort of like 90 seconds, you were kind of dragged in and out of the really court without thinking really this is what it is. Expected and um, it has such wonderful energy and beautiful images that are not beautiful in and of themselves. They 
they are character, the images. They take you through. You they're Kate's character, you know. They're Kate's I mean, character. And in that and in that environment, that's her environment. Yeah. But for her, as well for her, when they go there every day, the QCs were saying that you don't think about the old Bailey being a magnificent building that it is. The same way we stand on set and you just forget, oh, this is a set, because you're just like, oh shit, how many shots do I have to get to do today? And you just, you know, you forget that that majesty. So I, I wanted to give a nod that it's there but not linger on it and go look at this amazing scenery because for her she just literally passes through it every day so there was an element of that to it and then the the abrupt cut to Sophie's entrance was much softer was much more like elegant and she was in a much slower world where almost regal you know walking through it right so Sophie keeps Sophie revelation after revelation and and uh ambiguity and confusion I think some of the best moments are just shots of James sleeping and she's looking at him yeah with the kids alone whatever uh and, and like who is this guy yeah what, well that's it she questions him what, throughout it yeah throughout the movie and that, you know that's the thing it's like she's she's I mean, Sienna, it was the heartbeat of the series. I mean, quite literally in that scene in the in the living room when he tells her about the affair and they're sat there and I held the two shot and I wanted her with the pictures of the family on her side because she's there mm-hmm. defending the family. And he, you know, the wallpaper was storm clouds coming in and we grayed down his yeah. side of the frame. So it was like this storm was coming in into this house or into this beautiful world. And while we were recording that scene, Sienna's, I could hear Sienna's heartbeat from a radio mic. And I was like, that's a heartbeat. It was coming through. Like, literally, she was racing. Her heart was racing during the scene. She was so in the moment. Say that again? There's something on the track. Yeah, that's her heartbeat. That's Sienna's heartbeat. I left it in. I didn't loop it. or I I just left it because it it had, while the quality wasn't perfect, there was something to it that we just, that was just, you know, undeniable of that, the emotion and the truth of that, you know? uh, Yeah, it's very... uh, incredibly powerful yeah it's powerful you don't quite know what it is but it's it's disturbing but in a good way um it's it's indicating catastrophe you know it's really really quite something yeah well that's look that's you know i got to give her a lot of pro and she's phenomenal in it i mean in many ways we would each day go what what happened yesterday and i was like well you found that i had an affair okay but what i'm saying well you kind of found out an affair but now it's in the news there was everything was incremental right it was like so this thing is saying the same thing it's 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 awful (laughs) she keeps looking at the guy and he's sleeping in the bed and i don't know and then later we're just with the two kids oh my god yeah, heartbreaking because they were the they were the perfect family. I mean, it was her world. That's what she wanted, and and I, and and I thought it was important for that character to see her agency in it. You know, yes. to see the fact that she'd bought into that lifestyle. That's what she wanted. She turn a blind eye, and yeah. now it was it was un, it was undeniable. She couldn't. She could no longer turn her back on it. She had to confront who this man is. Yeah, in laws. When she goes to the in laws, yeah. tuppence. Well, yeah, I mean, don't we all love tuppence? <laughs> the brilliant Phoebe. I mean, she's honestly, it was so good. It, that was such a brilliant scene. And I'm so glad we got that in there. That was a great scene in the book that I remembered. It's funny, isn't it? When you adapt a book, you do, there are those things that really kind of speak to you. Oh. There are those moments. And the, and the Tuppence one was one. I remember the cheating at Monopoly really, I just was like, he got applauded for cheating at Monopoly. He was allowed oh. to make up cards, you know? 
And that really irked me. I was like, I, well, he's teasing I, the I, kids. Yeah, he's teasing the kids. Right. That's okay. He's the kids. But don't, don't, you know, applaud that you cheated. <laughs> yeah. And they did. And it's all funny. They cheated. Yay. And you go, oh, my God, this is quite horrifying. And God bless Sienna in that moment, kind of laughing along, but thinking, oh, my God, I just yeah. wanted to run. Going on here. What is he teaching yeah. the kids? And we always yeah. think. Oh my god! Exactly. So, but yeah, in terms of that, those those developing shots, I think were always, um, you know, especially with it would be who's seen it and who's leading us through this scene, and I I try and be with them, and I do choreograph a lot before I get there. I tend to go back on on the on the set as much as I can or on the location and really start beating it out and thinking about it. And you know, I have a, I have a great team around me all sort of standing for the characters, but I, I like to figure out where it's going to go because you you you. I don't think those shots you can just do on the day. I think you have to think about it. And things change on the day, things tweak. There are ways sure. somebody might go to the right or come in from sure. a different entrance and you and you figure it out on the day, but you have a rough idea of what you're doing. And and I'll yeah, be yeah. honest, some of some of them I was doing more at the back end of it was sort of on, not on the hoof, but sort of the morning of, I'd come in or I'd stay late and I'd be like, I knew I wanted to do a developing shot and yeah. be with James and then hand off to her and then whip back to him for the reaction or whatever. But I didn't quite know how I was going to land it. But by that time, you know, the wonderful thing about doing six, to go back to your earlier point about what is it like doing six, the gift it gives you is you are repeating on these sets again and again and again. So it's almost like you get another go. You get to try something else. So by the time I finished on that White House set, I, I shot every corner of it. I mean, it's been meticulous designed in that way because you can't actually get a double front. We couldn't find a double fronted Regency house. So it didn't really exist, but I needed both sides of it because I needed James to have his corner and the corridor that separated okay. him from the rest of the family, you know, okay. and, and we couldn't find that. And, and you know, again, COVID helped us because we were looking for a location. And then with all those rules, it was like, we just got to build this. So we we lucked out and that became literally our home for, for, for a few mm. months. But those mm. developing shots, you would be able to sort of think about how we move through that that area and that space, at what speed, at what pace, when to whip off. I mean, I tended to, you know, not that I'm a, a complete purist about it, but I don't think we did many melding of takes. It was the take that I chose and for whatever flaws it was, you know, there were, I would go, but that takes the right take because of X. I tended not to do any of those fuses. I, I you're very fond, you're not very fond of watching rushes. No, I don't love watching <laughs> rushes. You remember, you remember, I know, I just don't, I think the thing for me is I've seen it and and I no, spent still. 12, 13 takes watching it that day and I feel I've got it and then what I find sometimes happens is you go and you watch the rushes and you're like, fuck, it doesn't, oh no, shit, that's not, oh God. And then I just feel depressed for the day. And then I'm like, well, I want to reshoot that on the first day. Are you smoking crack? We're not going back to that set. And that, and so like, I watch it when I feel, it's not that I never do. I sort of just have this love-hate relationship with them. You yeah, know? me too. Me too. But I come from a time too, the ancient world where we didn't have video assist. That's right. So everything depended on my DP, my operator, who would turn to me. That's right. That's the one. And then we'd sit in rushes like this, you know. Hoping. And well, Life on Mars was on film. So I had one experience of that, really, where we sort of, you did watch the rushes because it was on film. You know, film, back in the day with film, you used to watch them because the video assist was useless, wasn't it? It was just yes. sort of this fuzzy thing that you barely now could it's see. Amazing. Now it's me. I mean, I still have a problem with it, but, the, the you know, it's the amount of time it takes um, however, I do find in the editing, in the last stages of editing, we find that, you know, take nine that um, I had as a second best or third best. That's mm -hmm. 
not the monk, and it mainly because for the way the whole film is shaped. So in a, in effect, sitting through it again, there's at least is something in the memory of seeing. Well, yeah, it's possible that one's possible. True, but do you uh, mark them? Do you so? Because I tend to circle them. Say, for example, we did we do sort of like I don't know anything between seven and sometimes thirteen takes on the steady yeah. cam and yeah. and i circle the i mean some are really obvious yeah. you're like, well, we're not going to use any of that i i do preferred and my yeah. scriptures put sound preferred yeah then yeah yeah, yeah. Preferred, double yeah. preferred good and then every now and then said is there a triple preferred is that yeah I don't <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'll have that one and that one and yeah so i do but i do watch you know if it's a one sometimes i'll sometimes i'll get seduced into watching it again and, and but then you do often see the things that you didn't like you know yeah. You know, yeah. Now, though, I must say that that uh, it is an extraordinary time because, you know, if a hand is here and it should be here, well, there is CGI. Well, there is that. We didn't have so much of that on our budget, but yes, there is. Yeah. I mean, oh, I'm talking. Yeah, of course, I I tend to think there is CGI up to a point, which is the money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anything's possible. Yeah. Anything's that possible. when your team go, oh, no, we can't do that. Yeah. When I look at them, is it? No, can't have it. Okay, fine. But uh, no, it's, um, it's I mean, what you do is you really, you and I to absorb it in a way, thinking of a scene, particularly uh, the way you have in your, your, in your scripting and um, your pre-production and your preparation, I should say, is really understanding or learning the philosophy of the shot. Mm-hmm. what the shot should be what what the morality of the shot really is is what and then you get yeah. there. So i need to go from her to him and i have to lose her visually that's that's a major decision you know it isn't just yeah. shooting two shot a single and a single you know it's and a big decision and sometimes mm-hmm. when the actors get in and then they act it and you go oh fuck that oh he's now doing it like that and i wasn't expecting that so oh, i i now can't lose it now and 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 sometimes you get there and you go, this isn't going to hold. You know, you. I think you. I think when you do plan for a developing shot, especially if it's a one, I think you have to always go. You have to trust your gut and go, does it hold? Because they don't yeah. always. You can have a great oh, idea, and sometimes you you go, well, it works up until that point. But I think actually, then we need to do a one eighty flip or follow yeah. them or, or find right. a new in and and kind of make it at the the beginning of a scene. But I, yes, it is. You have to know. You kind of almost, you have to almost work backwards, right? So, you know, say, for example, there were ones when, you know, we were in the White House and they needed to go and open the door to Chris Clark. Well, we knew we needed, you know, the way that the lines would go in the corridor needed in the hallway, I needed Rupert to be first out the door and Sienna second. So that then meant that Sienna needed to be the other side of the counter, but yeah. she was initially the other side because the steady cam yeah. was over here instead of over here. So then we realized that I was trying to do one and a half turns, but we could only actually do a three quarter turn. So then, right. okay, well, you take the plate to there and you do that because I need you back facing each other for the moment about the PTA. So you have to be looking at each other right. and notice each other's, you haven't been paying attention to each other until this moment. So that has to be where you stop. And then the doorbell goes, but then you, you know, so it's, it's about, you can start off with a good idea, but then you can run a dry. So it's often thinking, well, where do I need this shot to end? And how can I, yeah. how can I start on one person with a certain emotion, play the scene and then end on the other person or somebody else in the scene, having changed our opinion or perspective. That to me is why one is worth doing. That's, you know, it's, it's writing, it's Narrative. writing, it's That's writing, right. the, shot yeah. by writing the shots and it's really choreography. It's like music. It's like music. And it, it's so technical. It becomes so it technical. Is. 
It and is. Have, you, know, you, you have a good team with you saying, okay, we'll push the person in there, move it this way. I had a few like that on this picture too. Over the years, it's been uh, uh, interesting, especially when to stop, which mm. seems to, yeah, yeah, just when to stop. When to stop, when to know you've you've had a good thing and stop it now, yeah, right? Leave it. Just leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh it's an extraordinary thing. Um, um it, your rehearsals in the courtroom, how the hell did you work on all that? Uh, well, we were yeah. 45 pages it, of diet. It it was a lot. Look, we we yeah, it was a lot. It's often was PTSD thinking about it. Um, but they were they were we rehearsed in terms of we would sit down and again, I tend not to want to sort of really rehearse it in the way that I think one might play. So we would read the scene, just sat down anywhere. We didn't really, Michelle would always want to pretty much sit where she did, but, you know, Rupert rarely sat in the dock. He'd often sit next to me on the jury bench, you know, when we're reading it through. And, you know, the lovely Jonathan Coy, but our judge would be up there. And we would just read the scene through, not, not really acting it, read it through. And then we'd say, well, okay, what's the scene about? Where's the turning points? Who has the upper hand when? How do you feel when this moment happens? And we would just start to pace it in that way and sort of figure out, really wrestle with the dialogue and make sure there wasn't anything. Because no matter how well it's written, you're going to get to the day and there's going to be things that are overwritten or it's not working or it's not landing or sometimes you need to tweak something. So we'd go through all those. Melissa was there, our writer would go through all those. and, And then we'd kind of just leave it knowing and I'd leave them with sort of notes to go okay I think you have to come out the blocks hard I think you have to come out punching and I think you take it much slower because again you want to get that dynamic in the courtroom if everybody comes out at speed trying to make the courtroom interesting you're lost because then you've set a pace that you can't get away from so it was about playing with the tone and then figuring out how we would do the flashbacks because obviously we would shoot the scene and then we would do all the intricate flashbacks later because they're most of them were match frames. So we had to have an image switcher so we could literally put them on the same lens and match their faces so all the head turns completely matched. Work beautifully. And 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 in a picture that is, you know, six episodes, six hours, so to speak, uh, you have uh, or it's four and a half hours, whatever. Um uh, you know, we find these uh, there are so many characters and there are different ages, and yet we're able to come up with this. I've never seen it before where the it, the faces match into a flashback. Um, they match cuts, and sometimes they the middle word, yeah, which really yeah. work, which really works, especially in recognition, because the younger ones, you, the only one you, you know, the, the blonde hair, you could follow, follow your Holly, you could, but some of the other, the, the faces all get uh, swirling, yeah. especially with the folks that are out of focus. But when you match cut onto the faces, this is something that uh, uh, this is done. Um, forgive my ignorance in terms of this, but uh, purely digital, or you said you match them in the frame? No, we did it all in camera. They were match framed. Uh, We'd get the the image switcher that the DIT would put on, and then we would literally slide between. I'd bring up the frame that was shot first, so you had to pick which was your master. Oh, you know, okay. so and then you just switch between them, and then it was literally a match frame. Sometimes yeah. we'd have to match on a different lens though because if we were on the 40 mil you know the petzl 40 that that didn't really it wasn't oh, quite 40 okay. it wasn't quite 50 all right right okay. all right yeah okay so we'd have to then marry that and then use and then literally cut it in the it, i'd literally shoot it for the edit in which to cut it and know where the head turn was and and yeah, the right. toughest thing for the cast was understanding that the head turns were more dramatic because they're in the courtroom they're literally in a the courtroom and i'm asking them to sort of snap their head back and they're like 
this feels really weird. I'm like, I know, but I'm cutting into, and some of it we were doing before we'd shot the other side of it or the leading side of it. That was the toughest thing, right? You know, so for example, Rupert, um, when he's having his cross-examination, he realizes about June the 23rd and he's thinking, fuck, I lied on the phone call. And he looks up when he realizes it, that was shot in the first week and we didn't get to the courtroom until two and a half months later. So I was happy that I did that. And I, and it wasn't the frame that I really wanted, but we were running out of time. It was three minutes to seven. I needed the look. I was like, just get it on the steady cam, go in. There was supposed to be a nice push in on that. We didn't get it. It was just like, that'll do. So then it was like match cut into this frame that you're like, this is awful. So sometimes you just got away with it. Right. You know, but it was about, it was about, I just had to meticulously go through and go, okay, when are we use of head turns, use of action? You know, like he said, like he, she put her hands up, and then that's when. So he does that in the courtroom, and yeah. then we cut to her. Yeah. In, yes. in, so it was always about matching an action, and you know, yeah. I mean, look, one of the, you know, if you go back to like, you know, the graduate Mike Nichols, he did it brilliantly, you know with the the scene in the swimming pool so he jumps up onto the lilo and then he's on top of bank and bankrupt right and then he hears the noises off and he looks up and he's back in the pool in his pov right they're just there's they're four cuts three or four cuts together that just take you into his mind about where he is so it was looking at that how you can make an action cut move in you know and and cut you into the next thing but so they were so we would do rehearse the courtroom shoot the courtroom you know pretty standardly and once we've got a developing shot out the way fairly standardly and then oh, during the courtroom scenes I'd be yelling out flashback this happens because it was hard for them to then be themselves later on so I would call out uh-huh. what they were seeing or thinking or saying and then we'd come back in and they would go in and pick up all of those match frames and whips and pans sort of oh. after the main body of the scene was done it's wonderful that's really wonderful. And uh, yeah. how did you keep up the energy of uh, the actors in there? Did you uh, uh, supplement them with uh, uh, treats? Well, you might have heard that Michelle Docker is rather partial to Percy Pigs. So they? Uh, they are these little uh, Marks and Spencer food hall in London. I don't know if you've ever been there when you were in town, but good, good, good food. And it does these little, yeah. you'd probably hate them. I don't know, you might love them. Then these little, um, I don't know, raspberry flavored marshmallowy chewy yeah they, they're grim oh michelle's okay. favorite thing so i used to chuck some percy pigs at her or hide them under a lectern and you know just to keep her going get the sugar levels up <laughs> yeah she's great she like she was she was fantastic and then of course sienna wanted them so then we're lobbing up to the you know obviously all covid safe by the way we're all in packets yeah. and everything i'm like gonna that. try it on i work with de niro again i'm gonna try that I, i'll i'll tell you what i'll send you some percy pigs Try Montenero. I think he's going to love it. I think you'll get a lot more out of him. Honestly, we have a change for change for old men in the room with these little what are they called? Percy pigs. I that's it. I'm sending you. Now. That's it. We're getting it. We're getting you Percy pigs. My sister's on it already. Being shipped to you as we speak. Um, yeah, Percy pig. They definitely had some Percy pigs. So there was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the other the other flashbacks that are remarkable are the. Uh, uh, the libertines yeah uh, those sequences uh just from the very first one um they have the panning and tracking and actors movements and that sort of thing and sound of course but it does have um the lineage of uh, of a horror film mm-hmm. well every it's pretty time, horrific their behavior isn't it really yeah, every you really the whole frame on the edges of the frame you feel everything's going to go out of control just mm-hmm. everything's good. So you never know where, and it, it's hard to look at because you don't want, you don't want to be shocked by what they're going to do or what you're going to see next, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's so, we, we shot that Libertine, that first Libertine scene. We actually comes in episode two 
we shot that quite early on, um, actually at the at, at Shepparton in in one of Netflix's offices, which was a wooden old office at Shepparton, which we, we which we took over and and you know obviously redressed it with all our stuff with all that champagne. But th- those boys were great, and it was it was really interesting seeing this young generation hesitant to be there actually was which was quite encouraging they were they were sort of like you know and then they got completely into it but they were sort of about being so sort of like you know boyish and gross and disgusting you know but just but you're like you find yourself disgusting but you laugh at it because it's you know they're just being obnoxious aren't they yeah yeah but it's scary yeah you wouldn't want to walk into that room i tell you that and that's what the way the show that would be horrific And then the yeah. guy winds up being killed. Jeez, I mean, it's just yeah, yeah, awful. yeah. Just yeah. awful. Alex. Where were those scenes shot, by the way? The the um, uh, cloisters and things. The cloisters. The cloisters were actually at Winchester College. Uh, we shot a lot in Oxford. We were about a week in Oxford, but we didn't do any of the the. I like the idea of the, the script of the book. He was in a. They were just in a common room, sort of the Libertines' common room, and he fell out the window. And I and I just felt that the being on the top of the clock tower time yeah. hazard of time yeah. just gave it a yeah. little bit more cinematic bite and seeing it in the in the uh-huh. distance and also that fall was there was no denying you were dead you know of that that he wasn't going to survive it and so that was all shot at winchester college and then we kind of merged it i mean that was the other tough thing we would shoot winchester sections of it and then they'd run around a corner and they'd be running through oxford and then they'd run back to a different part of winchester so those were shot those needed an awful lot of work but the cloisters for the end of episode four the rape at the end of episode four was was also uh-huh. winchester uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels gothic. It feels like a gothic. A little it, bit of yeah. hammer, little bit of hammer film in there. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Try to please everybody. Give it give everybody a bit Absolutely. of something. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but um how did uh the uh the casting, the cast is so absolutely extraordinary. Uh well. I mean, they make it really. I, luck- I lucked out. I'd been wanting to work with Sienna for years and this felt like a really good one for us. We've been circling each other and I saw her do um, The Girl, which was the one about Hitchcock's The Bird. It was the HBO one. It slightly oh, yes. got buried because it was the same yeah. time as there was a movie of it, but but she was fantastic in it. I thought she was phenomenal. Um, and just approached her and it's, I, I'm sure you feel this once you get De Niro or Caprio or whatever, you know where the film's rooted then, right? You've got to get that one that you know where, where the film kind of sits, right? Yes, yes. And yes. so, and so, and so got her. And then I'd always, always thought about Rupert um, to play, to play James. I loved him in The Young Victoria. Um, I, I just, yeah. I've, uh, he's done so many, and Homeland, he's, you know, phenomenal. But I always saw him in The Young Victoria and he's so likable and charming, but could also be tough and 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 can exude that privilege so i had to put quite a lot of persuasion for him to do it probably three two to three hour zooms because you know not many men run at playing an accused rapist but um he oh. understood what i wanted to do with it in a 360 you know and when i yeah. talked to him yeah. about you know the fact that james had got to would get to a place at the end of episode one where he would you know feel feel like the accusation of rape was a gut punch and i said i really wanted to, to kind of like realize that literally well, that's, that's- here from the audience here from the members sasha okay yeah jerkovich if i may mm-hmm. i hope i pronounce the name correctly um it said uh, what was the idea behind the visual style and effects when key characters experience moments of stress surprise for example when the mp learns he's accused of rape which by the way is uh you know uh, totally unexpected and outrageous and that's that the very end of- moment 
That's right. Well, you want to get to that place at that point where you just all you're with James. I hoped you get to the place where you're with James. And for him, it felt yeah. like, it, you know, he just fessed up to this affair. He's kind of gone through the, the hell hole that was the press and he's now, and you know, his wife's forgiven him. And now, boom. Um, I, I guess what I wanted to do was, and it's like you said earlier, if not, it's just a book. How do you kind of articulate a story cinematically? And I felt that at the end of every episode, we had the opportunity to sort of do a cinematic punctuation that was both visual but represented that character's psychological moment. So for him, it was a gut punch. For Sienna at the end of episode two, she thought it was just an affair and now she's seen this beautiful Olivia Lytton talking about the affair and the fact that she was still in love with him and suddenly for her, she's like falling down the rabbit hole and she starts to imagine what... I just thought, well, what she would imagine, she knows that lift because she's been to Parliament. We've seen it in episode one. She would imagine what it was like in that. She's now imagining her version of that event. And yes. she's and 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 it's she's out of control. And and you know, she's in there and she wants to confront it, but she can't, which is why I put her in the lift. And, and she's just free falling, and her life hangs in the balance now in this trial. So, you know, to have her sort of free falling through the old body. So it always came from the narrative and psychological, you know, perspective of each character, but the intent of where the story was going. But I just felt that again, maybe it was my fear of a courtroom drama. I just wanted to give these sort of cinematic flourishes that punctuated through well, it's the general narrative. You know? and, and it works. Um, you yeah. know, it, oh, it just works. Uh, uh, I have uh, another question here. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, it, but you just, I'm afraid, answer that Charlotte Mickleborn uh, would uh, just like to say congratulations. To you. Oh, uh, thank you very much, Charlotte. Magnificent directing work. Notice how SJ took her biggest visual risk at the end of each episode. We just did the super slow motion, etc. The constant circular motion of the camera at the end of episode three. Um, uh, can I ask you why you say these for each? And I think you've just uh, uh, answered that, really. Um, uh, well, also, also, in case they were bad, you could just cut them out without really worrying. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't true. make a big hole in the movie, right? The end, of the, the end of it, That's if true. it didn't work and they were like pretentious, then, you know, but it felt mm -hmm. that they they, mm -hmm. they fell into place. And, you know, some of them were slightly different than the intention was actually the one at the end of episode three. You know, I went a step too far and it was good. It was raining inside their room at the end because and it was just one layer too many. So I did it once without the rain as you do for safety. Right. It's like that thing that you were saying, when do you know it's too much? And then we were like, let's have rain, you know, and yeah. And, yeah, and, right. and I because I just the idea of that and, and, and you watched it and I was watching it and I was like, oh, no, this is bad. I've just I've just made a mistake, you know, so always shoot the safety if you can, because I'm glad I did because it mm -hmm. just didn't work. You know, no, it didn't. You're right about the safety. You're right about that. It doesn't. Uh... This is the thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, these are, again, uh, emotional and psychological impressions that you're, you know, visualizing and yeah. stage. I mean, um, I always find it in uh, in films uh, how people um, express dream scenes, for example. Um, for me, the best was always, I always thought, Buñuel, uh, Los Olvidados. The slow motion scene with mm -hmm. the mother on the beds holding raw meat and the children trying to reach it or or really better dream logic is in uh, discreet charm of the bourgeoisie but also phantom of liberty where mm -hmm. if you watch film you 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 at a certain point you you feel like you're um uh, you feel as if you are in a 
uh, a, a different state, a dream state in a way. Uh, it no is, narrative. creating that state, exactly, and, and taking you and out of reality. It's very straightforward. There are no, no, no um, indications of visuals, I think, uh, that indicate that, okay, now he, now he or she is uh, uh, dreaming. Uh, how do you how do you approach the dream? What did how did you approach the dreams in this picture? That way, like like a uh, where you suck the audience in, thinking it's real, uh, actuality, um, and then of course when uh, she she uh, uses the rock or whatever it is to hit him in the head in the uh, oh in the yeah bed. oh yeah yeah and, yeah so and cool. then he wakes and you have that relief like when you wake up from a nightmare say, oh it's just a dream you know now I have to go to just as bad a day yeah I think the dream. I mean, for that, that I think that was the most stylized in terms of lighting. I think once I think you open the first the first sort of, I don't know, five seconds or so thinking it's real. But then the minute she sets up and there's smoke, I think you're going, we're in a dream. Mm -hmm. I definitely took mm -hmm. that to because, mm -hmm. you know, I was slightly worried that we had visions, memory and dreams. Oh, my, you know, you suddenly had all of these things. How did you right? make, discern the How difference? How do you differentiate? Flashbacks. And that's, and I, that's, I think, the only dream in it, unless I'm mistaken. But I think the only dream was in episode, the top of episode four with Sienna. So I think stylistically, we made that feel very much dreamlike fantasy. Good. Whereas oh, the yeah. others were more, I'm remembering being there. It's a bit hazy, but the, it's a real world, you know? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and there are questions again about did you storyboard uh, from uh, George Sogas? Uh, did you storyboard or and discuss prior to shooting? Or was it something you figured out in the day in terms of this camera um, and, and, and camera, the language of your camera, you know, but I think you've, you've. Bit of, bit of both. I mean, I do storyboard, I do scribbles tend to be. So for example, the shot where she, uh, in episode one, where she goes to sleep and they're not asleep, they're both lying there awake. And then we cut to James's POV, but it's the morning and we sort of pivot and twist and come around yes. and wake up as the sun comes up. Um that one was, was I just sort of boarded it, as it were, just sort of did like, the, I want the camera at 90 degree, and then we're going to do the turnaround like that. And there are other moments, especially with the match frames that I would that I would do little. And I and I, when I say yeah. storyboards, they're like literally scribbled on a post-it and stuck in the script because my, my, my sort of like nugget to everyone is when you do, especially TV where the scripts change a lot, I used to like write everything up on my script constantly because I'm still old school, need the paper, can't do it on the, can't, just can't Me do it too. on the iPad yet, right? I can't do it. I really try, but I can't. No. I say I save it to towards the end, but but I realised that I was transferring notes over, but if you do in the middle of the post-it, you can just pull it out and stick it on the next page. So I was able to kind of take my little post-its of storyboards and, um, you know, go. I want it to look like this. Or, or, or again, my script supervisor would have pictures of it to remind us or if it changed. Mm -hmm. So I would right. definitely do that. But in terms of the other, in terms of the developing shots, you can't really... You can't really storyboard a developing shot. It just, it just, you'll be there forever. It's not going to look good. The best thing to do is get to the space or create the space, a similar space that you want to use. Use yes, your phone exactly. if necessary. In fact, I did one this morning with a stunt rehearsal that you just follow around with the phone and get the idea of how it's working and what you need to do. Yeah, I think um, it's really just excellent work, SJ. Well, thank you so much. And, and I can't thank you enough doing this you know it's been a while since i saw you last but um i'm so grateful marty's been such a champion of mine and and i can't thank you enough for the support you've given me since our time on vinyl together oh god yes 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 okay really well, I, hope you, I hope to see you in new york will do i'll see you when i'm down there this podcast was recorded at a directors uk member event you can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favourite podcatcher. 
Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.